Ave Maria Press has been publishing Catholic books and resources for more than 150 years, and they are located right on the north side of the Notre Dame campus. Visit AveMariaPress.com for a wide selection of spirituality books, classic Catholic literature, and even books for families. You can also find podcasts and free downloadable Catholic content. Visit AveMariaPress.com and receive 25% off your order with code REDEEMER. Ave Maria Press, helping people to know, love, and serve God. Church Life Today is a production of Spoke Street Media and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and our listeners. In his Apostolic Constitution, Ex Cordia Ecclesiae, St. John Paul II wrote that a Catholic university or college is, quote, a living institutional witness to Christ and his message so vitally important in cultures marked by secularism. He continues by saying that everything in these Catholic institutions should be conducted in harmony with the evangelizing mission of the church, including offering an education in a faith context that forms men and women capable of rational and critical judgment and conscious of the transcendent dignity of the human person. I wonder if you might agree that Catholic colleges and universities that seek to form young adults holistically and intentionally in this manner are perhaps more important today than they ever have been. My guest today carries the responsibility of helping provide just such a Christocentric formation in an intentional college culture. Dr. Joe Wirtz is Dean of Students at Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas, where he also serves as Executive Director of the Gregorian Fellows. A graduate of Benedictine himself, where he earned a BA in philosophy, he also holds a master's degree in higher ed administration from the University of Kansas and a doctorate in higher ed administration from George Washington University. As dean of students, he oversees programs and activities involving residence life, student development, intramural programs, student health services, counseling, student activities, and career development at Benedictine. He joins me to talk about the vision of student formation at a Catholic college in our day and age. As for me, I'm Leonard DiLorenzo. This is Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life and the Spoke Street Media Network. I'm glad you're here. Joe, welcome to Church Life Today. Well, thank you, Lenny, for having me on. It's a pleasure. Joe, I want to begin with the end in mind, and by that I mean the end toward which you strive in student formation, especially at Benedictine College. When you think of the young adults who come forth as graduates from Benedictine, what do you hope to see in them? What kind of young adults have they been formed to become? At Benedictine College, you'll hear a lot about our mission to form men and women within a community of faith and scholarship that's talked about a lot. So I think. Our ultimate goal is to do just that, to form men and women who understand a Christocentric community, what that looks like, how to forms us. And this community is called to serve one another, to love one another. So we hope that they experience that here and they take that with them. Faith, faith is central. We want a spiritually mature person, someone who understands their faith, both intellectually, but also 
through an active practice that informs their heart, their judgment. They have a Christocentric worldview. So we want them to have that thriving faith life. And then lastly, this understanding of the intellectual life, the development of lifelong learners, right? people who understand the need for intellectual development and understanding arguments, but also just this pursuit of wisdom, ultimately. So we hope that they they take that mission that we strive to inculcate here out into the world. Yeah. How much do you find that students who are coming to the college are looking for that, for what you've mm-hmm. just laid out? How much is it that you have to sort of form them even in that vision of what this education is about? And I wonder also, like, has this changed in recent years during your time involved in formation as dean of students? Yeah, it's a great question. I think more and more we're seeing students who have that desire Mm. and families that have that desire. So I think our selection criteria is stronger today than it's ever been. You'll hear a lot of our alumni. I'm, I'm a graduate of the college back in 99. You'll hear a lot about community back then. So I think there, there's always been that sense of love for one another. And there's been some great intellectual developments in, in alumni in that category as well. I think our notion of combining the three has really improved over the last 15 to 20 years. Hmm. So at that, of course, we have a bell curve, right? We have right, people right. who come here with no intention of living that way. And then they become formed, as we hope. But I think more and more people are choosing it. Yeah. What particular obstacles have you been seeing to this kind of formation that you're prizing and putting forth that you want to pursue? And may I wonder if those obstacles are sort of atmospheric, they're out in maybe a broader cultural sense or maybe on campus. Are there obstacles in, you know, that come with the kind of young people who are now entering into college? I guess we can take that in any direction that you like, but I'm kind of interested in the obstacles to this formation and talking about that a little bit. Yeah, certainly our culture makes it very easy. (laughs) Yeah, I think there are major obstacles. And I think, you know, there are generational differences. I'm a Gen Xer, right? We've seen generation differences with millennials and now Gen Z. I think just culturally speaking, it's a lot more challenging to form young people. And large part, as we've all seen, the the sense of distraction, right? It takes a long time to form people, right? It's, It's a patient game. virtue develops gradually. And there's so many distractions thrown at our students and a large part is related to the the smartphones Mm -hmm. and social media, right? Which, you know, I I do believe in the studies that show the connection between that and mental health issues, you know, anxiety, depression. I, I think that's a real thing. And I think our young people come with that. The parenting styles is result, right? Mm-hmm. The the helicopter parenting, the overly involved parents, that has some positives, but it carries some negatives as well. And how parents accommodate their students and don't let them struggle and persevere through adversity, right? Yeah, we want yeah. them to be gritty right, yeah. or hearty. So that presents an obstacle. So there are a lot of these cultural phenomena that we see impact our campus cultures, right? Right. I myself, I kind of am magnetically drawn to any book that talks about kind of attention, distraction, all these things, because I'm right there with you. I think this is, I mean, it's very obvious and it's also deeply problematic to any kind of formation. One thing I've come across, and I, I suppose I needed to be reminded of this, even though I probably knew it already, is that we have always been distracted. In other words, human beings have always been drawn to a distraction. But to your point, the efficiency of the distractions and the prevalence of the the distractions have increased. 
I suppose in the in a campus setting, and this is the integration of the academics and the spiritual life and community life, what kind of spaces do you hope to create or what kind of rhythms or tempos do you hope to institute that allow for the time that you're talking about to build virtue, to to actually put distractions at bay and actually be somewhere together focused? Are there particular ways in which I suppose at Benedictine or in your own work that you've tried to create those kind of settings, schedules? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. We, My staff tries very hard in our residence life program, in our ministry program, in student activities, leadership development, to create these collisions where students are interacting with one another mm. off the phone, right? Mm. Put the phone away. So eating together, right? Meals are a critical part. We have one dining hall. We have several other eating venues, but where they sit down and engage with one another. Most of our events are interactive, right? They don't involve phones, right? We try to engage the person. We try to know all of our students. We're a small campus, right? We're 2,000 students. Yeah. But within the first week of school, our RAs are tasked with learning everyone's name, right? Getting them out of their rooms, right? So we create these collisions. We have great spaces on our campus to do that, drawing students out and together. So you'll see a lot of this, supporting one another in these different events. So we keep them active, Right. Yeah. So maybe, you know, we err probably too much on that side of things. So <laughs> creating time to study <laughs> is a challenge, right? We we get that a lot from our faculty friends who are saying, man, you guys do so much stuff. But we've also integrated a lot of intellectual aspects to our culture. So speakers, events that form people intellectually as well mm. as morally. So we're bringing a lot of the classroom outside the classroom. Right, so that students can think about these things and see how they impact their life. Our symposium, you know, is an example of that. You you spoke at our symposium. That's a way of kind of creating these contemplative practitioners. Right. Let's let's have a conversation. Let's think about these ideas. How are they shaping us in our daily lives? Right. And yeah. so making those connections explicit. Yeah, no, you bring up the symposium, which was my first time being on campus at Benedictine. This is the Transforming Culture Symposium. And <laughs> I, I, for me, I think one of the real highlights, in addition to being around other scholars and practitioners from different places, was actually spending time with some of your students who were genuinely, genuinely interested in what different speakers had to talk about, different ways of talking about creating and recreating cultures that are more hospitable to Christian life. And it wasn't just that they had curiosity. They were also like deeply attentive. And I, I don't mean to like patronize them in saying this, but it, you you kind of feel the real investment of energy and desire. And that doesn't come from nowhere, right? Like it's been right. in some right. ways cultivated in them. And I think it's a reflection of the kind of community that you've, you've built at Benedictine. Yeah. yeah. And we were just talking about your talk yesterday in fact. Oh. so i mean that that stays right people are still talking about those ideas and thinking about those ideas and you're right it takes a lot of intentionality to get there and modeling right i think our faculty do a very good job of modeling how the intellectual life is integrated into their family life right and yes. so you see that model you see families at church and you see families participating in our events and so students are seeing oh so you don't have to be stuck in this ivory tower to have this life of the mind. It actually does filter down into how we live. And there's joy that comes from that. And I yeah. think that's the most contagious aspect, right? To see the joy of living this way. Yeah. 
This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on the Spoke Street Media Network. My guest is Dr. Joe Wirtz, Dean of Students and Executive Director of the Gregorian Fellows at Benedictine College. You're talking just a moment ago about, you know, one of the important uh, places that you create and foster for students is even the dinner table or the lunch table or probably not the <laughs> breakfast table because they're college students. But nevertheless, right. you have one dining hall. People come together to eat. It reminds me of this story. Well, it's a real story. It's not just like something I heard. But at Notre Dame, our vice president of student affairs years ago, maybe two decades ago, the folks from the dining services came to him and they said, you know, we've done studies on how students are taking their meals and we've been tracking when they get them and all these things. And we found that there's a increased desire among students for these grab-and-go options. In other words, like you go to the dining hall and you're able to take food with you and then move along to class or back to your dorm room or whatever it might be. And so they said to the vice president of student affairs, we we have this proposal for kind of increasing these options to make it more beneficial to the students and meet their needs. And his response, and this has stayed with me for two decades, he said, I really appreciate your work, but we're a Eucharistic community. We come together mm-hmm. to eat. Now, yes. that doesn't mean that the grab-and-grow options over the last two decades haven't increased, and sure, we might sure. talk about the place of that. But it does bring to my mind a question or a kind of necessity. In order to value certain things, like you're saying, being able to come together to eat, we have to intentionally say no to certain things that might actually appear to be useful, efficient, good when you're in the work of formation with students, I wonder, I, I guess I can ask this in two ways. One, what are some of the things that you, in shaping a campus culture, you and your colleagues and leadership, mm-hmm. have had to say no to in order to create the kind of environment that you want to offer? And then maybe a, it's a different question, but we can think about this also if you like. What are you hoping to help your students learn to prioritize in order to say no to the to things that might have otherwise been goods in order to value other things. So there's a lot going on there. Anything yeah. that you want to respond to, feel free. No, I think that's great. I think it's very wise on your VP. Maybe that's Father Portman. Yeah, I think you, you know, know it's, it's, it was. It's, I wasn't going to name it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a challenge always because you know there's this tendency to want to serve a consumer of knowledge, right? The student today viewed as consumer versus we view the student as a disciple of Christ and mm-hmm. we're trying to form them. And sometimes that's very countercultural, right? Students want things at their tips of their fingers, right? Convenient. They want their own room, their own bathroom, right? So we have shared bathroom spaces. We have dining hall where they sit together and yeah. have to interact with one another. Yeah. We do have grab and go options, of course, because there's this balance to strike. But I think ultimately we do have to ask ourselves, what are we trying to do? How are we shaping our environment? How are we creating intentional designs? What do we hope to achieve? And like I said earlier, we want to create these collisions, right? Mm. These, these interactions. So our spaces have to reflect that, right? Our campus culture has to reflect that. So that means we have dorms where they have shared bathrooms, right? We have single sex dorms because we want relationships to flourish within Mm. the single sex opportunities, We've said no to a lot of trends in student affairs. Let me tell you, student affairs (laughs) has progressed in ways that I think are largely unhealthy on on most campuses. Mm. And we've rejected a lot of those trends because we want kind of a holistic development of our students. And that requires saying no to a lot of things, right? But in that sense, we appear a lot more countercultural today than we did in the last 50 years, right? Yeah. So I wonder... 
you know, something else that I've thought about, and I know a lot of people have thought about this, is the kind of competitive market that there is now mm-hmm. in, especially now in higher education and the competitive market for students. Like uh, many of our institutions rely on a certain critical number of students to enter into the schools to not just generate tuition, but actually to have full campus life, right? And students are looking around and with their parents and trying to assess, you know, the value of higher education, first of all, a college education, but then also the value or the experience that they'll have at this college or university or this one. And a lot of that probably, and you know this, in recent decades has come down to the kind of benefits that are part of student life. You know, what are the Mm -hmm. accommodations that are afforded? What are the resources that are made available? Like what looks like it's going to be the most fun, actually. Mm -hmm. And this ends up coming down to the way in which a college, a university shapes itself around kind of like you're talking about in some ways consumer desire. I'm just interested in thinking about this and talking about this together. How do you balance that or how do we balance that, this need to kind of attract? Because there is a need to attract and persuade and show people the value of this particular type of education with – holding to a mission that isn't always going to be exactly what people are looking for right away. It's going to take some time to learn to love that mission. Yeah, you hit it right on the head, Lenny. It's it's one of those challenges because the competition, it's like an arms race. Oh, we have an auditorium now, right? Yes. All these amenities, right? The country club look to these colleges and I get it. You know, we we try to compete and for people's attention, for people's time. Because our value proposition is something beyond those amenities, right? And sometimes those amenities can be counterproductive, right? So I mentioned earlier, the the constant accommodating of people to serve the comfort of people can lose a key formative element, right? As we see these increases in sadness and depression go up Mm. when we have everything at our fingertips, right? Mm. I think once that body of research really settles in and people look around, they go, wow, what environments are we creating? We've creating a, a comfortable campus life and people are not now challenged intellectually, right? And we see yeah. that they cancel out things that they don't like. They do that in, in relationships. Well, I don't like the way that person is. I'd rather have my own room. I don't want to be discomforted, right? And we weren't made for comfort. We were made for greatness as we quote Benedict XVI. Yeah. So you're right. There's a business aspect to recruiting students, right? Because if they come on your campus and they see things that are totally foreign to them and they, they're, or their parents, you know, our parents look in our dorm rooms and they're like, I can't believe kids live in this. Well, yeah, because <laughs> you're coming out of a home, right? Yes. Where you've shaped your life for the last 20 years. For the students, you know, oftentimes they're like, oh, this is fine, right? You know, I can, I can live with this. That's right. It's a constant tension, right? Yeah. There's no silver bullet. I think we just, we have to keep our mission at the forefront of our minds and that sometimes being uncomfortable is exactly what they need, right? Mm. And they need to grow resilience and you can't talk about resilience and not apply it, right? So it could be a great theoretical concept, but you have to live with discomfort to grow in resilience, right? Mm. That is a, I love that line. I'm writing it down. Live in discomfort. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on the Spoke Street Media Network. My guest, Dr. Joe Wirtz, Dean of Students, Executive Director at the Gregorian Fellows at Benedictine College. Even what you were just talking about, Joe, kind of the down the real negative draw of 
arranging our life around comfort, as you're seeing, there's a correlation, at least a correlation between that and the increase in sadness, in loneliness and depression. It's a strange thing because you would think when you're getting the comforts that you want, you're actually going to be happier, but it actually eats at you from the inside. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me, you know, I'm teaching in this upcoming week and in, in the last week of classes at Notre Dame and one of my classes, uh, that little book by uh, C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce. Mm-hmm. And in fact, his image of hell is of people who always get what they want right when they want it. And so there's no way for them to actually form community because as soon yeah. as they have a desire, they go pursue that desire and they end up drifting apart in this gray town where nothing is held together. Yes. And there just seems like such a timeless insight in there. And it's related to what you're talking about, right? Like Absolutely. when we get the comforts we want and we can pursue them immediately, there's no friction or tension or community to hold us together. It, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. He's very prophetic on that note. Isn't he? So let's maybe let's talk about this. This is something we don't put in our websites for colleges and universities, not in our brochure, but come here and learn how to be uncomfortable. Yeah, is, right, is this right. is this part of the the formation that we're trying to provide in our Catholic colleges and universities? And I think there's a tension there because you know when we think about excellence, you know we think about perfection almost mm. in in this, and I think it's it's become more sterile today, right? That excellence is like well, achieve it at any cost, and what that means is we want all these things at our fingertips, right? This is what excellence looks like, and so. That's a challenge because in in a moral life, you know, students need to learn how to fail, right? Mm -hmm. And grow and learn from those failures. They need to experience their freedom in true ways. And how do you do that if you're constantly, you know, covering up things for them and accommodating life and making things easy for them? It develops a a sense of sloth almost, right? right? And so I think the challenge for us is, knowing that, hey, we don't want the perfect to get in the way of the good, right? That there are things that we are trying to improve upon in our campus culture all the time. You know, we're not creating, you know, situations where they're going to be lacking in some necessity, right? Hey, sorry, we have a food shortage because of the uh, supply chain. You're not going to eat tonight, (laughs) right? But at the same time, having students reflect on their own experience and acknowledge, okay, sometimes, you know, things get ugly, right? Things don't turn out your way. What is that teaching you about life? How do you grow in this sense of resilience and perseverance after a goal, right? How do you break down bad habits and create good habits, right? That takes time, that takes energy, that takes intentionality, that takes someone to speak truth in your life, right? Hey, maybe maybe these things that you're doing, these habits that you're creating are actually making you into somebody you don't want to become, right? So this constant seeking after pleasure and comfort, who are you becoming by those series of small acts, right? We talk a lot about that habit formation, right? How important that is. So I think it's a a recognition and and being intentional and seeing where these small decisions are taking one, right? So Mm -hmm. this constant, you know, I want comfort. I want things my way. And you're a professor, right? That can be in a class, right? Mm -hmm. I I want this grade, right? Or, hey, can't (laughs) you accommodate? Yeah, (laughs) I'm sure, right? Can't you accommodate my 12th absence, right? I mean, these are things you have to hold a line on. Did you read my email today? That. Almost is verbatim what was is going right? on. Yeah, no, that's no. incredible. Uh, that's funny. 
Well, it is, right? It is what it is. So it's hard to push back on that because students don't see that as helpful to them right. maybe immediately, right? Well, this brings up, and this actually has to do with something that I'm thinking about, like why I'm, why I'm saying you might have read into my email. Here we bring in yet another set of considerations, which you alluded to before, which is the increase in mental health needs, support, the rise of anxiety. There is real kind of compassion that has to be there and building into our campus communities, our classrooms and our student life, the right kind of support for people who are really struggling with many of these things. And so, you know, this is one of the things in my position, not just as a professor, but in some other things that I do that I'm wrestling with. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, this tricky negotiation between the compassion and support, but then like you're talking about the also holding to account and having the appropriate ways of struggle and not doing things for, but actually allowing that resilience to have a chance to, to really emerge Thinking maybe yeah. about like, you know, in a broader scale in your campus community, especially in your work, like how do you negotiate that difficult terrain of the the support with the not doing everything for people? It's almost like you're a dean of students, man. You got these, <laughs> you got these insights. Well, that's very challenging, right? We talk a lot about challenge and support, right? That students need appropriate amount of challenge and they need appropriate amount of support, right? If you're imbalanced on one of those ends, then you can create hardship in, in ways that are, mm-hmm. are, are harder to manage. Particularly when it comes to mental health, it's difficult because how that speaks into them, depending on where a student's at, that can be very difficult, right? So I go back to this notion of, you know, students being known. You know, there's a great letter of Don Bosco on education where he talks about the dream that he has and his his superiors are not interacting with the boys, right? And he says, it's not enough that they are loved. They need to know that they're loved, Uh right? And you have to spend time with them in what they love to do so that they will spend time in things that that they don't like to do that you are calling them to do, right? And so we talk a lot about that idea of accompaniment, right? So students feeling loved and supported, but then through that trust and that love also feel that acceptable level of challenge that, hey, you know what? Sometimes my feelings go this way, but I need to do the opposite action, right? I need to go opposite of the way I feel because that's ultimately what's going to lead to my happiness. And you know that, right? Teaching virtue. Mm -hmm. Sometimes doing the virtuous thing doesn't feel right. You know, it it feels like the wrong thing. But in order to overcome that, you have to do that action and pass through that phase so that virtue then becomes something joyful and you do it promptly and right and so walking with students to understand that takes time right because mm-hmm. they have to build a sense of trust and well you don't understand me or you don't understand what i'm going through okay well let's walk together through this right and hopefully that we come out on the other side yeah one place we can take this as we draw towards an end is thinking we started with the end in mind maybe we can end with the end in mind but I think a lot of ways in which many people can talk about the kind of formation in education in college or in high school is almost of like getting people through, like we want to do what we can to help them to almost survive this experience and move on to the next thing. But really the mission of Catholic education is to form ultimately leaders, right? Like people who can take responsibility 
for the message of the gospel, who can make real contributions and sacrifices, who can give this life to others. I know you've spent a lot of time in leadership development too. So when we think about forming Catholic leaders, what do you really value and prize in terms of how we form people for this real leadership, for this possibility of becoming great, like you said, not to necessarily look like they're excellent in the eyes of others, but to really offer an authentic witness with their life and a gift with their life? What is What are the components of that leadership that you think? Yeah, again, great question. We, we focus a lot on this book, True Leadership, that starts with the foundation of Christian conviction. And we tell all of our students, look, you're always following someone or something, right? And Twitter exposes that, right? Oh <laughs> Facebook exposes that, hey. right? Instagram, they're, they're, they're all seeking followers. So we want our students to reflect, who are you following? And that person should be the person of Jesus Christ, mm. right? That our worldview should be shaped and transformed by being a follower of him. From that foundation, we want to build our character, right? What can we do to shape ourselves and be people of virtue? From there, we talk about vocation. Okay, what is God calling you to, right? Let's understand vocation in a broader sense. Then we focus on gifts. How has God prepared you? What gifts has he given you? You're unique and unrepeatable. And let's explore that. And then finally, we focus on those leadership skills that are important, but they're put in that kind of priority. They're last on the scale because, you know, they need to be put in proper perspective, but they're important, right? We want to be competent. Yeah. So when it comes to that, we we focus on a lot of different things from forming good, you know, crucial conversations, just that emotional intelligence, right? Self-awareness, right? How do we come across in our behaviors and our conversations to other people, right? We focus on resilience, right? How do we develop that skill, being good communicators, et cetera, all those things follow from that foundation. But first and foremost, it's having Christian conviction. And that that is key. Love that. Well, Joe, this has been a really fruitful conversation. Thanks so much for making the time to talk with me about all of these things today. I think we could talk for hours and hours, but maybe we'll have to have another one of these conversations at some point. Lenny, it's been an absolute pleasure. So I'm honored. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for joining us on Church Life Today. Church Life Today is a production of Spoke Street Media and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com. Elevate 150 Financial Checkups at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Here's how it works. Go online and schedule a 30-minute phone call. They'll guide you through your credit report to find ways to improve your financial health. Then they'll send $150 in your name to Redeemer Radio. For information, visit NotreDameFCU.com slash elevate. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame FCU.